listening to The Reese Show. On this show, we're trying to clarify what a good future looks like. I know we're all a bit sad about late-stage capitalism, and we want to transition to something, but we don't really know what's next. So, on the show, we interview experts about what is emerging, this beautiful future vision that we can all lean into. I hope it gives you a sense of purpose and clarity about the future. If you like the show, you know, feel free to do something about it. <laughs> you can leave us a five-star review. You can tell your friends. You can name your first child Reese. Whatever makes you happy. And if you really dig it, we have an online school called Root, where we help folks understand these root-level systems to find our route forward. We have cohorts of world-class systems thinkers that run every couple of months. So if you're interested in that, check us out at root.co. That's R-O-O-T-E dot co. Thanks. Today I chat with Cassie Robinson, who leads tens of millions of pounds in nonprofit grant making in the UK. In the first half, we chat about her own journey, kind of being an outsider, but finding a home as a systems thinker. And second, we chat about the programs that she's actually funding right now in the UK. And there are three cool ones that she highlights about this community narrative process. And then second, about you know ways to create to get civil society to move that civil society sense-making function upstream into the governmental decision-making processes. And then third, how Cassie is applying this technological transitions framework from Frank Giels and applying that to her work by empowering new niches to form new kind of niches of innovation. So it's good stuff. And especially if you're into systems thinking, it's a great episode. Hello, listeners. Today, I'm excited to chat with Cassie Robinson, Cassie is the senior head of UK portfolio at the National Lottery Community Fund, where she heads a 60 million pound a year fund, including the Climate Action Fund, the Digital Fund, and exploring new approaches. She's also a fellow at the Institute of Innovation and Public Purpose at UCL with Mariana Matsukato. Cassie, thanks so much for being on the show and welcome. Hi, Reese, and thank you for having me. Excited to dive in. And I think Cassie is funny because like I've been aware of your work for a bit, um, but then in diving into it and, and you know looking deeper, I've just been really impressed with your practices around writing and what you've been writing about, and also how you've kind of taken this you know systems thinking lens and brought it to your work. And so I think actually for you know our listeners here, maybe the first thing that I want to dive into is you know, just you as a systems thinker, like where you exist within the world. Um, I read on one of your blog posts, you know, that folks initially said you were unemployable or you were like labeled as special needs when you were, um, you know, 11 or something like that. And, you know, when I look at your website, you have these amazing, uh, this amazing quote that says like, you know, you are particularly skilled at sense-making, pattern recognition, reimagining, stewardship, and the weaving together of relationships. And for me, I love that, but it's like, I feel like it's very abstract for other folks. So kind of, could you tell me and our listeners like about your journey as a systems thinker and like finding your role as a systems thinker in the world? Yeah, sure. Um, and actually, when you say those words out loud, I sort of giggle a bit and I'm like, yeah, what do, what do they mean? <laughs> what, what, does, what did I mean when I wrote that? Um, and it's written in a third person as if I didn't write it, but I did. Um, but I kind of 
I could take them from some things others have said. Um, I mean, where where should I start? I I definitely can't remember a time when I was like, oh, I'm I'm a systems thinker. Um, I think it's I think yeah I think it's it's been like a thread that has slowly unfolded over many different experiences and but it probably does start with I mean I mean I don't know if it does start here but I'm going to start here with this story um which links back to when I was younger and I have written about um this idea of being labeled special needs and I think I think actually what was going on for me a lot at that time um was just that you know like there were lots of things that didn't really make sense to me in terms of what I was being told by those in authority um you know how how they were kind of labeling the world um or describing the world um and asking me to what they were asking me to believe in um or to respect I think I just I think I sometimes was like really um is that really the case and and it's not because I felt like I had an answer either I just wasn't sure um and I think you know I think over time I become I became surer more sure I don't know what the correct English is Uh, I became more more (laughs) more certain that a lot of the things that people described as being certain just were definitely not there was no certainty in those things um and and actually I think I just I probably did have and still feel I have like quite a strong sense of intuition about is that really is is that really true is what's my gut really telling me here um that doesn't sound very authentic that person's not really being real um so I think that I think some of that was going on too and so I think you know and then and then I sort of grew up um with with lots of norms not not existing around me um where you know my parents got divorced when I was five um there was lots about lots of these sort of truths that that were the norms that just weren't very true in my life so I think that also means you question um what is true and what isn't what what to believe what not to believe um and I think yeah so that so if those kind of parameters don't apply to your life um I guess you don't they don't get in your way either um and I think that's probably why I didn't well some of why I didn't feel um like I I I needed to follow a particular path um or that I wanted to because I I I didn't really see a particular path in the way that maybe some of my peers did you know and and I, I never really wanted to get married I didn't really understand what the institution of like marriage and the church was really about um and I didn't I didn't really want to um buy a house or like a lot of the, a lot of the things that people were looking to looking for to give them status or security or I just I've never sort of wanted those things um so yeah so that so that was probably why 
I mean, actually, obviously, in hindsight, you can tell a story that sounds a lot more coherent or romanticised than it actually was. I think also some of it was, I actually also wasn't really sure what I did want to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were some things that I, that I had some strengths. And so I suppose that also guided me um, a bit in terms of of, of where I started to explore. and yeah and it wasn't really until I was 28 so I had you know a bit of a wandering path um which I won't go into now um but I it wasn't until I was 28 (laughs) and I I got a place on something called the creative pioneer program um which was run by the UK's largest innovation foundation and on that program I oh can you still hear me Mm -hmm. oh yeah sorry it's saying on here lost connection to server um on that uh program i i was just really lucky to meet a bunch of other people who had been labeled creative pioneers and that was probably the first time i really felt like i'd found my tribe and i think it was from that experience i started to feel more confident um in in sort of exploring different path um and and then yeah i mean that's kind of the first part of the story i don't know how much more i should go go on about that yeah no that's that's great i think it's interesting to hear about well a as you're just kind of being you know as you're in childhood you know being labeled special needs i know for me i remember you know like thinking like oh where am i on like the spectrum or something like that uh and not quite you know, fitting in and then that feeling. And for you, it's cool, you know, when you were 28 and you're like, oh my God, there's these other quote unquote innovators or whatever, and they're my tribe, they're my people. And so finding, you know, your, when you grow up, you know, feeling like you're not part of the the quote unquote normal and then finding, knowing that your people are out there in the end is, is a really, it's a nice feeling. I think that there's also, I mean, what you say about, I love the kind of skepticism there of just, you know, these labels or these things that you're supposed to believe in or respect. And you were just kind of like, "Mm, I'm not buying it, (laughs) Uh, which is kind of a funny perspective, but then it kind of leaves you without a clear, like believing in those things is easier, you know, in some extent. And so I can just imagine uh, the childhood, you not believing in those things um, and then kind of doing this wandering path. The wandering path kind of reminds me, my dad did, we called it the 12 year plan where he went to five different colleges and then to, you know, hitchhiked around, you know, Canada and Africa and stuff. And so everybody will find their, their path and their journey. Do you think one thing actually that this makes me think of is for you, you know, I've read, you have a nice blog post recently about kind of your two years at the, uh, at the, national uh, where you say all four words the national lottery community (laughs) fund um and how it is a you know how for you like finding your people within philanthropy can you talk more about what that has been like because like philanthropy is like it's a lot about status games and kind of you know the networking and mingling so tell us about that journey sure well and one other thing actually if it's all right to just come back um Mm-hmm. on what we were just discussing because it it also when you when I play it back a bit like I just did I also really recognize mm-hmm. and I think it's really important to say that you know there was obviously some some things in my growing up that had a privilege to them 
that meant I didn't feel this. I wasn't like, oh God, I have to do all these things because I have to get a job. I have to make sure I can put a roof over my head. I have to, you know, there, there must have been something in me that, that felt comfortable enough to not have to dive into some of those norms too. I suppose I just want to acknowledge that some people 100%. have to stay within the status quo because they're like, that. that's the only choice they very literally have. Um, and that, I mean, I didn't grow up in any kind of affluent, like we were very, um, not working class, but, but kind of lower middle class. I was the first person to go to university in my family. Um, and, you know, I went to a, a normal state school. We lived in a, you know, like I didn't have a lot of, there wasn't a lot of affluence, but I, I definitely had a sense of security in terms of like love from my mum and, I felt secure. Anyway, it just felt important to acknowledge that because mm-hmm. I, I think. I think it is. Be- yeah, you need that strong foundation or like, yeah, if you have, if your basic needs there are met, then you can kind of do the more exploratory stuff versus, yeah, if you just need to focus, if you have a scarcity mindset, need to focus on getting food or, you know, all those kinds of things. Then it's like, yeah, it's a lot harder to kind of take a step back and, and, and go against the status quo. So totally agree. And, and like that you yeah. highlighted. And um, so, yeah, philanthropy and finding my tribe. Um, I mean, actually, I just wrote a post this week or last week. I lose track of time in, in a global pandemic. Um, but I haven't really found my tribe to some extent. And that's also I don't want to say that as if there's not lots of amazing people working in the world of philanthropy mm-hmm. and I have met some amazing people and and learned from some amazing people. Um, I think I think there's a couple of things I've come to realize, which is that I have I found myself in these groups in the and in these membership networks and actually the lottery, the National Lottery Community Fund is is not a philanthropic body um we're not we're not a private foundation we are public money so in some ways I would be more suited to sit in a local government kind of conversation or a central government conversation or anyone that's actually commissioning and like grant funding with public money because the kind of constraints and the accountability is very very different um, so so I, so I've been in in some philanthropy conversations where people talk about you know they've reached out to this organization they've brought together these 10 organizations and they funded them um you know some foundations where you can't even apply you get invited to apply um whereas at the National Lottery Community Fund we have to only do open funding programs our funding is for everyone we can't we can't reach out to people and say, here, we want to give you some money because that's solicitation. So I think that in itself has made it harder to find common practice for me in in that world. And then I think the other thing, and again, this is a very broad sweeping statement that is obviously not true across the board, but I haven't come across many people that have, the diversity of experience that I've had um, that, that that have come into the funding world having already set up their own organisation so they understand what it's like to fundraise to sort of be on the other side or who have that sort of entrepreneurialism 
or people that have had the experience of you know working partly inside government or in a big corporate for some of the time or it because I have just worked in lots of different contexts because I've had this very messy um non-linear path um it just it means I bring a lot I bring a plural a sort of plurality to my thinking on on where philanthropy needs to head and I I find there's actually some quite binary kind of communities within within philanthropy um, and I found that quite challenging yeah that's interesting I think that there's I mean on the community foundation side it is or I mean as you say there's kind of the folks who are in the organizations where they can give they're like you know giving away family money or something like that it's much more of kind of a private thing while yours is kind of more public sector and it reminds me of i mean and i don't know that much about community foundations i know you're not a community foundation but is there more alignment with community foundations uh perhaps um i mean i guess there is in the sense of that's local money going back out locally but i I mean, I, I realise I probably don't know as much about community foundations as I should do, but I'm not sure that they... I mean, they certainly don't have the same relationship to government that we have, so they don't get audited. They are not under public scrutiny. They, you know, like, so I feel like there's something still quite different in just the governance of us versus a community foundation. Um, the things that might be similar are... Yeah, there's there's a there's a similar potential like feedback loop between local money going back into a local place, um, but I the the a few the, the few community foundations I have some connection with, um, I yeah I've not felt a huge alignment, um, but that like I say I I suspect that's because I just haven't spoken to enough of them. No, and I think it's interesting though as well because as you say, there's a and it is different. I mean, it, the the situation that you're in is kind of a unique situation where it's public money uh, going back into public communities with all of the kind of government oversight. So I think it's a it's different than a lot of uh, community than a lot of foundations. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you're talking about, yeah, I think you know the multi, you know, the plurality of perspectives there and being able to you know, think from this kind of, uh, yeah, know what it's like. It's kind of like in the, you know, the VC world where it's like you want your VCs to have been founders beforehand mm-hmm. so they kind of know where you're coming from. I think that you have some of that there as well. Um, one thing that this makes me kind of, you know, kind of zooming back out to the systems thinking as a whole uh, kind of discussion, do you have any advice for, you know, if, 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 if there's a young 15-year-old or 20-year-old or 25-year-old listening to this podcast now who's kind of, finding their way in the world and is like, oh, I'm kind of weird or maybe I like systems or whatever. Do you have any advice for them? Um, do you mean advice in terms of like how to feel? How to navigate one's own identity and navigate, you know, the professional world that might not fit them as well. I'm just also thinking about myself and as like, you know, you know, I never felt like a company was right or, you know, so, so advice for kind of like a young person who's trying to, who knows they're, you know, a bit odd or whatever, and is trying to find their professional path. Mm. Um, so I think there's a few different things, um, on a really sort of personal level, uh, we just actually published some tools last week called 
I think the URL, I guess I can share it with you, is like uncertaintimes.community. Um, and we created those, uh, myself and Ella Saltmarsh, who's one of the point people as well. We created those um, for actually younger women in particular, but I think they're, they're usable by anyone, um, who find themselves needing to navigate complexity and might realise they have... Um, that, that 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 feels very hard and difficult and isolating but also like it like some of the ways that you're feeling are probably completely normal um and there's many other people like you um so that's just a quite like practical resource that I'm hoping some people might find useful I think yeah. one of the things I have found very useful in helping me make sense myself of what I'm doing which then obviously in turn helps you communicate that outwardly too, um, is there is this model, I, I've talked about it quite a lot now, so I, if anyone's listening to this that's already heard me talk about it, I'm sorry, because I feel like I need to like reference something different. Um, but the Bakwana two loop model, which is, is just a, a framework that helps think about change and how change, well, not how change happens, but just... It's, it, it basically tells the story of an old system in decline and a new system emerging. And within, within that narrative, there are different roles to play. And some of those roles are about being the innovator or the pioneer and you're creating the new alternatives. And what you need is to be connected to others that are doing the same. You need to find your tribe you need resourcing, um, you need to bring coherence to you to what you're doing as, as it grows. Other roles in that narrative are about helping the old system to die or about transitioning things from the old system into the new. And the reason that I find that helpful is, you, you know, of course, none of us are only one thing and none of us will ever only play one role in change if if we if we want to be more plural um but we can't always be everything all at once in in each context so i've just found that you know as as i've moved around in these different ways and in a way that has been quite difficult to sort of put me in a box and give me a label what i can now do is tell the story of my journey in relation to that model of like, well, actually, when I was setting up Tech for Good Global, I was I was being a pioneer. I mean, I think that's a bit grand, but I was sort of trying to, <laughs> yeah, I was trying to, I was actually trying to bring coherence to things that were emerging in the new system. We were doing narrative work at Tech for Good Global. You know, when I worked at Government Digital Service in the Cabinet Office, I was trying to, I was part of a team that was trying to transition some of the old declining system into the new system. Um, actually, at the National Lottery Community Fund, we're, we're such a large funder that I think we're doing about five different roles on that on that model. Um, you know, different bits of the fund are doing different things. With the stewarding loss work um, that I'm doing outside of my role at the National Lottery Community Fund, that's very much about helping hospice some of the, the systems that are in decline. Um, so yeah, so that that's kind of, I feel like if you can, 
if you can start to build up a narrative that makes sense to you in terms of the position or role you're taking and what you're doing, that that is a useful way of communicating it to others. Um, and I, one other thing I would just say is, well, again, it goes back to the, it goes back to narrative. If you are a 15 year old who just knows, and I, and I use the word knows from a deep place, you know, if you have that knowing, if you have that understanding of the interdependence, the interconnectedness, the, the way the world is very much, um, we are very entwined, um, then you know like that that there are ways you can explain that to to people who you're looking to to hire you um and i think that yeah. kind of that that will become more and more apparent i think even in the pandemic it's be it's very hard now for people to to deny the kind of interdependencies that there are Totally. Yeah, that's cool. I think, so A, I'll share those three things. A, the uncertaintimes.community. I'll definitely share that um, as a, you know, like a, a framework that, you know, a tool that people can use. And then that, you know, the Burkana two-loop theory in the two-loop model is cool. I think it, it, it gives a very clear, and I hadn't seen it too much before kind of reading it, uh, reading into it as, as you were um, from your website and, and blog posts and stuff, that there's kind of systems in decline and systems that are emerging. And so you can always kind of find your role within those systems and say, ah, okay, I am someone who is either hospicing an old system, like you were saying, or maybe I am transitioning an old system to a new one, or I am co creating coherence among, um, you know, this new wave, this new system that's emerging. So kind of finding where you're fitting within the kind of decline of a existing system or the emergence of a new one. Uh, I definitely, I, I hear that. And then the final one, as you're saying, I super agree that, I mean, there's, there's some amount of funniness there, which is like, oh, you know, <laughs> trying to get someone's like looking to hire you and you say, hey, I understand the interdependence of all things. And they're like, okay, congratulations or whatever. But I do think that there is something really powerful there, which is A, it's just it's true. And B, you know, it's becoming more clear for everyone through, yeah, as you say, through COVID and needing to flatten the curve or trip the circuit breaker, all these things, these ways of thinking in this kind of networked way, it, you can kind of present that in a, in a powerful light for folks. So I definitely hear that. I, too. Will, I will just say, the, sorry, um, sorry. Um, when I when you set back like that, I'm like, actually, Cassie, that sounds ridiculous. Probably you're not going to say to a potential employer, uh, hang on a minute, everything is interdependent. I guess another another way. <laughs> that was my no, joke. no, but I think it. I'm like actually, that was probably quite rubbish advice. Um, I think another thing to do is maybe don't try that. And um, you know, I'm just trying to like think back to when I was like earlier on in my journey, and um, I, I think the key thing to do is not to not lose or deny or try and. Um, sort of diminish your plurality like all of your yeah. multiplicity all of the layers of who you are is what is 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 what's wonderful um and to if, if you can only share or show a part of that to be able to get a job for example then just find that like how else where else can you express all those other parts of yourself and actually that you know, I definitely took on pieces of work over the last 15 years where I would describe myself as 
oh, I'm going to be a user researcher because actually that's the role they're looking for, or I'm going to be a service designer or, you know, um, but of course I'm much more than those things, but I found other expressions for those other parts of who I was. So yeah, that's a better answer, I think, than I love that. No, I think that that's a good, I think that there's, yeah, and, and that both of them are just, one is the straw man of it and one is the steel man of it. And the straw man is like, oh, I I have my inherent multiplicity and plurality. Like, you should hire me. And that's obviously, you know, the, the sad version. But then the happy version is the one that you said, which is like, hey, look, don't diminish, you know, those parts of yourself. Don't say, oh, I need to fit in the box now and I will be some kind of, um, you know, one-dimensional automaton or whatever. Not like other folks are like that, but so you know, instead embracing those sides of yourself, but understanding that you may need to um, kind of fit it. You know, for me, I'm thinking, you know, when I worked at MIT, I was working specifically in blockchain ethics. And so that was a Mm -hmm. very specific aspect of my uh, interest. But then, um, and so not diminishing those other sides of me, I think is powerful. Um, So let's kind of transition now to, you know, thinking about, you know, the National Lottery Community Fund and the the work you're doing there. Y'all do a lot of cool funding of of projects in various communities and i guess i want to start by just asking you like what is especially alive for you right now is there is there some part of your work that you'd like to chat about or some something that you're wrangling with or wrestling with because you do so many different you know you have so many different buckets and funding mechanisms like what's what's kind of live for you right now um i think there's probably three things that feel very live that I could share briefly about um so the first is well well, two are more linked actually so I'll start with those um so the first is we've been doing um we are sort of a third of the way through some grants that we awarded um, a few months back for a new funding program called the Emerging Futures Fund and um sorry that was a little ping from a thing that I'm going to just turn off so all good um and the emerging futures fund was we we sort of opened that during the first wave of the pandemic when a lot of our funding was really in response to the crisis we were doing a lot of sort of emergency funding very reactive and unnecessarily so but alongside that we also wanted to try and create some space to provide some resource for communities to also process what they were going through and think beyond the present and and try to imagine what might be different you know if this was a if this if the pandemic was providing an opportunity to not you know not go back to how things were um how would how would communities want things to be different and so the Emerging Futures Fund is is a bit of an experiment, really, to see whether what does it take to resource that kind of work in local communities. And what's been interesting is is to think about how do you build a funding program like that so it actually becomes a longer term kind of. I, I've talked about it as seeding an infrastructure. So. And I I use the term infrastructure to mean something that kind of scaffolds and supports and builds care and and resources capacity. You know, that's kind of how I think of infrastructure. Um, So can we, through this funding programme, can we start to seed an infrastructure that means communities can go on processing, listening, sensing and imagining 
about where they want to head in the future. And the other thing that I'm I'm interested in within that funding program, which is a sort of live inquiry, is, you know, what does it take to bring foresight, like strategic foresight and social imagination practices very locally into communities so that you know communities there's a lot of work that we do at the fund and that is generally happening in philanthropy around participatory grant making um and i i think that kind of practice is really important i think we need to ask more about what what else do communities need so that they can think beyond what they know and understand in the present so that if if communities have the power to make decisions and shape their future which I really wish they had that power then communities don't know what they don't know like I don't know what I don't know and I also can't you know I find it very hard to imagine beyond you know beyond my current reality like that's sort of human nature we're wired for short-termism so are there ways to build that kind of yeah strategic foresight and social imagination capacity in local communities that's one thing um the other thing i'm i'm interested in and and we'll we'll start to explore more is more related to to sort of technology to start with but it could expand but it's this idea of how can civil society how can local communities and civil society more broadly have a role further upstream in shaping technology so we tend to, in the UK, think of civil society as the play, as the kind of that's it's where problems are solved. It's like they're downstream. Charities like help people when they're in need. Um, the social sector is there to respond and be reactive. And and actually, I'm really interested in what does it mean for it to 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 be further upstream in shaping in shaping the future. So that's it's sort of linked to the first um and again I don't I don't know how to do that yet but we'll be doing some experimenting around it and then the last thing that I'm that's very alive and that I'm I'm really excited about is that we are in January opening a new funding program that is looking at very long-term funding so seven to ten years and talking much more about how do you, yeah, how do you resource ecologies, assemblages, ecosystems, infrastructure, constellations over the long term? And I'm particularly, I'm using those words on purpose um, because we're trying to do something quite different from what we've done before. And I think language is going to play an important role in, in that whilst we're sort of bringing in an early pipeline um so yeah that's kind of that those are the three very live questions for me at the moment love it love it i mean my uh we're on an audio recording right now but if you could see my face it would be very like excited and and, and hyped about all those <laughs> things so i think there's i mean i just want to repeat them for a second for folks it's like yeah there's a there's the emerging futures fund and you know and getting people to you know it just you know covid was such a thing that kind of brought us into the short term and made us you know really think about the emergency in the current moment but also allowed us to kind of 
you know, w- with that V-shaped um, recovery to not only have it to have it also be on the Z axis and to say, okay, if we want to have a recovery here, what are these new awesome futures that we can build from now that we're coming from a place, uh, you know, of more, you know, a crisis? And so how do you, I think that what you're asking there is so interesting around how to create kind of foresight, you know, and imagination within communities and kind of build that infrastructure for communities themselves. I mean, you can imagine it being the case that blocks or neighborhoods or what have you had the ability to had these like amazing live rituals and practices to um, imagine, you know, beautiful new futures for themselves. How are you kind of you know, what does that actually look like? Is it, you know, is it like town hall meetings with folks or like, how are you kind of um, helping people imagine different futures? Uh, so it's, it's such a range of different things that are happening. Um, and, and some of them are barely happening yet. So, but they will be happening over the coming months. Uh, so we funded 52 different initiatives across the UK. Um, and some of them are happening, happening very, very locally, like around one small neighbourhood in Cardiff in Wales, and some of them are, are, are more national in scale. And with with each of them, we did, when we, for the, for the application process, we did ask people to apply partnering with or already having some kind of expertise in in some of those practices. And that that's that's an uncomfortable thing because... You, you know the the growing trend in philanthropy would be to say well I, I don't know that there can be quite a, a dismissive um attitude towards expertise and specialist expertise because there's such an emphasis on lived experience um and I'm not saying that's wrong I just don't think it's the only thing and you know I think we need a combination of lived learned and practice experience it's the combination for me of those things that's really powerful and so we have we 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 have most of the grants have partnered with people that yeah like have some rigor uh, and methodology in terms of how to do social imagination or um strategic foresight or systemic narrative work um because those things are a craft um and we wanted yeah we wanted we wanted to bring that those kind of practices and craft into the work um how that's going um i've only i only we just had an update from a couple of projects yesterday actually because they came to speak at my team away day um and it yeah some of the work's incredibly moving um and there's one there's a town um i don't know if it's a town I'm probably going to get this wrong. But there's a place called Barrow in Finesse, which is up in Cumbria in the north of England on the coast. And if you were to Google it, the stories about Barrow are like really bleak. Um, you know, it's portrayed as a, a, a place in decline, um, you know, and it has really suffered from, you know, austerity and the industry like leaving the area um there's lots of things that that have not gone well for barrow and that's an understatement but it's also you know a beautiful part of the world um there's lots of amazing things about barrow too and that gets lost in this in this kind of narrative um and they the the local council there were one of the applicants alongside a project called the new constellation 
and the new constellation are bringing their framework, which is all about um, imagination and voyaging into the future. And they are working really closely with the community of Barrow, with the local council. And they've just had this amazing engagement from the community. Um, they've had billboards up around the town. They set up a hotline. And I think one of the things they were most moved by is that it was actually a lot of younger men that have applied to kind of take part in the voyage. And what comes out of the voyage, which they're actually undertaking the first one next week, because they're working really closely with the local council, it will actually feed into the future of Barrow's plans. It will feed into the town plans. Um, so it really will shape the future of the town. So that's just one example. Yeah, that's so cool. I think that that's, I mean, it's an amazing, as you know, you know, 52 different projects. So there's lots of different things happening at micro and macro scales. But that one seems like an amazing little piece there. It's like, hey, you have, yeah, if you Google it, it's like, oh, it's declining. It's like, you know, you know, in America, you know, like our rust belt or whatever. And it's like, how can we actually, you know, do something where we create a, and even the word voyage is an amazing way to do this and thinking about, you know, the young men in these towns and saying, hey, you're going to be part of this voyage. It's actually going to have an impact on your community. That's a really, really powerful story. So that one sounds amazing and cool. The second one is the, I super agree with this one too, which is that, you know, it's the tech and civil society piece where it's like, oh, you have technology, you know, you know, GAFA, Google, Amazon, Facebook, whatever, they build stuff. And then eventually it hits the um, humans, us folks on the other end, and then we can complain about it at that time. And the question is, okay, how can we actually move that upstream and say, no, 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 you know, civil society and like populations and, you know, we should be a part of uh, the creation of these platforms and not just be impacted by them when they make their decisions. What kinds of, you know, things are you thinking about there in that kind of like the civic tech, uh, digital civil society space? I think, I think, I think I'm, I still don't know quite what the answer is, but one of the things that we're trying, actually, this is not part of the National Lottery Community Fund work. This is something that we've been doing with the Co-op Foundation um, and Illuminate, but this, there's a new fellowship that we've been running in Manchester called the Community Tech Fellows. And that's really trying to see how you take, how like leaders in the community, so people running community groups, um, like very local civil society, not the kind of think tanks or the intermediaries or the academic institutions, which tend to be very well resourced to get involved in the kind of tech ethics stuff. But actually the very, the, like the, the groups on the ground, the groups that, that are on the front lines, the groups that are really embedded in communities what what would it take what does what do they need to, what what does how do you resource them to kind of build up their understanding and capacity around like tech policy so that they can be shaping the tech the tech policy discussion um rather than that yeah rather than that happening through the think tank so that's one of the things that we're trying to experiment with that program I think the other thing that we which is more the National Lottery Community Fund end of things is is trying to work out what does it it's almost like as another piece of civil society infrastructure you know in the UK we have something called 360 giving which is a, a good example of a piece of sector infrastructure that has been about foundations funders opening up their funding data um so that 
you can see who's funding what where. Um, and that's a really useful piece of sort of intelligence, if you like, for the sector. And so we're thinking about, well, what would a kind of foresight observatory be? Again, that sounds a bit grand, but I think we haven't figured out what to call it yet. Um, if you think of charities, civil society groups, community groups as as having a kind of sensing function because they are really on the front line, um, how do you kind of systematise that sensing function? What is the data that they have available to them, both quant and qual? And how can that be like this collective intelligence that is used further upstream to feed into like policy like in government and feed into um, how technology is being designed and shaped by the big tech companies, etc. So that's kind of, that's that's what we want to sort of prototype. Don't quite know exactly what it's going to look like and how it's going to work yet, but that's that's what we're planning. It's almost like, you know, civil society as a, as a, yeah, a big, collective intelligence radar sensing machine observatory thing (laughs) totally totally yeah i mean i think it um it's it's funny because it's uh i agree with like what word should we call this but i super agree that there's something amazingly powerful here which is kind of you can think about you know surveys you know in the u.s the you know gallup polls started i believe in the 1900s and they started to you know actually tell people um okay what do people like what do they want or whatever and that's also when um, stuff like the uh, uh, public relations and things came around too. And so you can imagine the kind of, now that we have technology and things like this, how can it be the case that we're taking, we're making the sensing layer that allows, I'm reminded of, you know, for me, um, I was voting in California and there were a bunch of propositions and it was hard to know which ones to vote yes or no on. And there's a bunch of voter guides, which are like kind of a part of this, you know, helpful uh, kind of uh, curation layer. But then there was a meta voters guide that I used, which kind of aggregated all the other voters guides. And it was so, so, so helpful because it showed me, oh, all of the voters guides were yes on this one and were no on this one. So I can just kind of, you know, do those things and then focus on the ones that where the voters guides are kind of on both. And so thinking about ways to, you know, ways to get the people themselves to be able to give their input and data into some of these policy processes in this better, um, more legible way, I think is uh, an amazing prog- you know, project that I would, I would love to see. So excited for that. As we get into you know, closer to wrap mode, this third one that you talked about, I kind of get it, but I don't really get it. You know, you're talking about long-term thinking and, you know, seven to 10 year timescale and, you know, how language and is associated with it and thinking about constellations and ecologies. Could you tell me more about what, what you mean here? Yeah, so I think I think in this early in the early stages of this funding program, it's a new funding program, and it, it's definitely us experimenting. But I think what what a, a key part of it is to think not not to think in terms of organisations, um, charities, problem areas, themes. It's more about where do we see where do we see new work emerging and it might not be really new but where do we see like community um emerging that is doing something that will deepen and grow over time 
that is going to be building a kind of alternative system or building really important public everyday infrastructure um and that's you know so so in so a lot of funding you know you you fund a charity you fund you know we want to address violence against women so we're going to fund this charity because that's what they deal with or um you know you might just fund like one community group and this is a way of firstly not funding individual projects or organizations so trying to like again recognize it's acknowledging that that change happens through multiple things coming together and also wanting to fund not just the 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 different elements coming together but in a way like the soil that those elements are going to grow within um and you know probably ecology is the easiest word to describe in the sense of you know so it might be an initiative a group of people or community groups coming together in a place and the the ecology is is kind of growing and assembling more and more to it over time and it takes on different forms and it's building a new narrative and it's yeah it, it it's kind of I can only almost see it in a visual way rather than having some of the language and that kind of how to fund that you know and it, and it also it needs to be it it, 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 it needs to live it, it needs to keep alive um, and that's important too. So there's a lot of talk in philanthropy around core costs, and I'm trying to avoid using even that language because funding something over seven to ten years, you're making a big commitment in terms of time frame and resource. But I feel like core costs suggest something very steady, and I think we're looking for for things that will keep emerging and evolving and growing over time like I say it's a very it, it, it there's an aliveness to it um and that's what we're trying to fund but then some of the things that are in the early pipeline are actually much more like infrastructure as well so um I don't know if you know the Giel's socio-technical um model where he he talks about the the meso the micro and the macro Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, I can share a diagram. And then there's a fourth thing that we've added, which is is really about the roots and the soil. So there's kind of the the different layers um, that change is happening on. And in a way, with this funding program, we're looking to fund we're looking to fund work that's kind of happening on at least two of those different levels. Whereas again, a lot of funding often just thinks about one level. I don't know if that makes Yeah, I think there's... Yeah, no, you're good. I think that um, it's funny because, yeah, as you're discussing this, so many of these concepts that are... Yeah, you can kind of get... 
you know, when you're trying to talk about something like this that's like emerging and that is very visual, you can kind of use lots of different language around it. Where you're like, oh, ecology slash constellation slash networks. And you, like all those words don't exactly point at the right thing, but kind of point at it. And then, you know, the really pointing at the right thing is this kind of visualization in your mind of it. So I definitely get that. And I think that I hear what you're saying here, which is, you know, what is the kind of the generator function of all of the rest of, you know, the, you know, the symptom or the, you know, the, the root level of, Hey, how can we, um, uh, yeah, what are these, what can we invest in in the long term that would create beautiful soil and create this amazing regenerative soil that would allow for lots of other beautiful things to come out of it? So I, I think I get it at a metaphorical level, and I'm excited to hear more about it as it evolves over time. Um, so in any case, we are it is we are at time for today, Cassie, but thank you so much I, for, t- you know, telling us about both your journey as a systems thinker and, you know, uh, helping other you know young folks on their own journeys, and then also some of the really interesting stuff that you're doing at the National Lottery Community Fund. Um, is there any place that uh, folks can find you on Twitter or that can you know uh, apply to things at the National Lottery Community Fund? Any call to actions mm-hmm. for folks? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter just as my name, Cassie Robinson. Um, the the National Lottery Community Fund funding is um, only available. Uh, in the UK but if there's anyone listening from the UK there's there's lots of different funding programs so do go and have a look um on the website and yeah I I think my call to action would just be uh what's the anti-racist work you're doing and how are you resourcing things like the Black Lives Matter movement Mm-hmm. I like it. We that that's a whole other bonus uh, level of discussion that we haven't been able to chat about today. But I think that that is is juicy as well. Um, well, in any case, thank you so much for coming on today, Cassie, uh, and thank you, listeners, for for tuning in. Goodbye, everybody. enjoyed that episode i want to highlight a couple thoughts and learnings for me the first is it's always fun when i learn new frameworks and when you all get to learn new frameworks as well the first being the two-stage systems change theory of a system in decline and how to help it decline and then a system emerging and how to help that new system emerge and so thinking of that two-loop theory pretty simple but just hey what's what's on the outs and what's on the end, you know, and something that's on the outs is our post, you know, is our pre COVID lifestyle and something that's on the end is our post COVID lifestyle. And so how can we kind of help the first thing go away and kind of steward its loss? And how can we also help this new thing emerge? So that's a nice little framework. And then this uh, Frank Gill's transition, you know, technological transitions framework is relatively helpful as well. I mean, it's classic multi-level thinking around, helping niches you know innovative niches kind of early adopters how they are the start of innovative thinking and then how that micro level niche bubbles up to the meso and macro levels so that's always fun and i think you know a note on that is you can tell that cassie just has a systems thinker mindset because she uses so many slashes and she thinks very visually and if you as you're listening to the episode as you listen to the episode you can really kind of hear that and be like okay she is speaking in terms of abstractions kind of and 
and, and visuals and is just kind of using language to point at what she's talking about. And then I do want to highlight two of her current projects. The first is on narrative. I think it's so cool, you know, this idea of infrastructure for communities and thinking about what kind of infrastructures we will want in the future for a community to have. And one of those should almost certainly be what she's working on with, you know, strategic foresight and visioning. All communities should have that. So building that, that capacity, I think is really cool. And I think that it's cool how she highlights, you know, both how she accepts and loves, you know, the lived experience perspective and also thinks that it might be a bit too much right now and that expertise is powerful. And as she notes, you know, I liked how she differentiated between lived experience, learned experience, and practiced experience. And they're all helpful and powerful in each of their ways. And then her second big project there of, you know, tech and civil society. And I think that you can see this as part of the general API between the population and the state. And traditionally... It, that API has been illegible and coarse. But, you know, with things like Gallup polling and, you know, occasional voting for representatives. But as we go forward, you know, with GovTech and CivicTech, the API between what people are on the ground doing in communities and civil society and for them to both percolate their sense-making up to the decision makers and to say, hey, here's what's actually going down out here. That process needs to happen. And in addition, we need to have the other process, which is when decision makers want to decide things, we want to give the people on the ground, the communities, a clear understanding and empowerment of what they're actually deciding on. And so we need both of those parts of that feedback system to get better, better sense-making from the bottom up and then better curation of voting kind of, or of, you know, information on what we're voting on from the top down. And there are a couple proto examples of this out in the world. You know, often Taiwan is given as an example here, but I'm very excited and would love to learn about more things that, you know, make it, make government better for everybody. So excited for that and excited that Cassie's working on it. Okay, bye.